The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, on February 3, 2013, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, through chapter 13, verse 13. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit speaks to us today is the second lesson you heard read earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 13, 13. Please be seated at this time. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. February is the month of love. Red and pink decorate store aisles. Candy hearts and cuddly bears sit on shelves. Florists stock up on roses and jewelers display their mementos of love. Children sign their cute Valentine Day cards. God's word before us here today, though, dear friends, lifts our hearts, souls, and minds above the worldly talkings and uh, clamorings about affection and attractions, romances and passions. For you see, dear friends, as much as the world talks about love, and as moving as their stories and, and, and songs can be, without Jesus, there is no real love. The scriptures declare, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4. And even we who follow Jesus grasp love, real love, so poorly and fail so often to put it into practice. We fall so far short. So through this word of God before us today, may the Holy Spirit increase our love. For you see, dear Christian friends, love makes the difference. That's the theme here today. First of all, love makes the difference when it comes to spiritual gifts. No matter how spectacular spiritual gifts may look, or wonderful they may be, or helpful or useful, without love, gifts are nothing. That's the first part here. And as we turn to the text for today, we're picking up from last week and continuing the discussion that Paul is writing on concerning spiritual gifts. Just as our bodies have many parts, each with different functions and abilities, and yet is one body, so also Christ. Through faith in him, you and I are members of his body, each one given different gifts. Different functions, different roles, different abilities, different talents. But we are still part of one and the same body. And as the text today begins, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul has a short list of examples of spiritual gifts. He writes, 
Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, dear friends, what do we learn from this word of God recorded here, this, this, these examples, the spiritual gifts? One, we learn that God is the one who distributes these gifts, giving us our various talents and abilities, our various functions and roles, just as the parts of the body are arranged and appointed for their specific uh, functions and abilities. And so these gifts vary over time and place and from person to person. Two, second thing we see here is that the first three gifts listed, which are are ranked, all deal with God's word because God's word is what builds up the body. Third point here, we see that this These spiritual gifts include not only abilities, but also persons and positions in the church, such as the position of teacher, or the person who teaches us. He or she is a gift from God. Fourth, we see that spiritual gifts include not only what we might label as supernatural, like working miracles, but also when the Holy Spirit takes our naturally God-given talents and abilities and sanctifies them for use in God's work. And that's why gifts like the gift of administration and helping others is listed. And finally, the fifth point is that all of these gifts, however varied they may be, are used for the good of the body. And that thought leads into what Paul writes next here as he says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. First of all, what are the greater gifts? Now, they would be the gifts that help build up the body and keep it healthy, right? And so what is it that builds up the church of Christ and and, and nourishes it and keeps it, it healthy? And It's God's word, isn't it? God's word. That's what is the foundation for for the church. that's, That's our spiritual food and nourishment. God's word in the scriptures and the sacraments. So we see that the greater gifts involve the gifts that, that use God's word, knowing that word, learning it, being able to share it and teach it. In fact, later on in chapter 14, Paul says he'd rather speak only five intelligible, understandable words to instruct others, to teach them about God, rather than to speak 10,000 in some language that others cannot understand. And so, as we desire the greater spiritual gifts, the gifts that deal with God's word, we certainly will be in that word as well, so that we are, are growing in our knowledge and ability to share it and teach it 
And yet, even with the deepest knowledge of the Bible or whatever other spiritual gift you want to list, any spiritual gift or even a mixture of spiritual gifts by itself or by themselves are nothing and have no real value for you or for me if one important ingredient, you might say, is missing. And that's why Paul says he will now show us the most excellent way, that which is vital if we are going to use any of the spiritual gifts, no matter how great they may be in and of themselves, without this most excellent gift or way, those gifts mean nothing. And so he tells us, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, surrender and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love makes the difference, dear friends. Love makes the difference. Without love, even the greatest spiritual gifts in the superlative degree are nothing. Even if we could speak in all sorts of different human languages, in fact, even in the language of heaven, that's just an empty sound without love. Even if we had full knowledge and understanding of God's prophecies and mysteries and had a miracle working faith, that means nothing without love. And in connection with that, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus said. I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. How vital love is. And finally, even if we made the ultimate sacrifices... For example, giving up, doling out all every last penny we have to help others or sacrificing our lives in a painful death. Yes, even that means nothing and counts for nothing without love. Love makes the difference. Without love, even the greatest spiritual gifts are nothing. And so, dear friends, what what is this love? What is this love that, 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 that is the most excellent way? Well, Paul doesn't leave us guessing, does he? The apostle describes that love as, as the text continues here. And that leads us in, into the second part today as well. As you listen to Paul's description of love, contemplate how this imitates God's love. And that's the second part, right? Real love imitates God's love. Listen to the, Paul's description. 
and reflect of how God has put this into practice towards you and me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love is patient. Contemplate how patient and long-suffering our God is toward you and me. Day after day, we offend him, we sin, we fall short of his standard, fall short of his approval. Oh, we may try to resist, but then we fall. We think we're stronger than we are and end up worse than we thought. Rather than loving others, we tend to blame others. And yet, how patient our God is. Day after day, he calls you and me to repentance. Oh, dear friends, what kindness he shows us. The kindness we we see demonstrated during Jesus' life as as we see his his kindness in, in the miracles that he worked, healing the sick, making the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. And the greatest kindness of all, as he proclaimed the good news of forgiveness and peace, the same good news that God still proclaims to you and to me through his word and sacraments. The good news that you are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross and that you have peace with God through faith that peers into the empty tomb knowing and believing that he has risen. Love does not envy. For you see, our God is so good and merciful that he has richly and daily provided for us. He opens his hand and bountifully satisfies all that we desire according to his will. Why would we envy what others have, whether that is their possessions or their abilities, their their position or status? And why would we boast or puff ourselves up in pride? All that we have is a gift, a gracious gift from our merciful Father in heaven unearned, unmerited, undeserved by us. There is no room for pride. Love is not rude or self-seeking. It doesn't try to, to put others down or offend them in some way in order to advance ourselves. Rather, love seeks the good of others first. And oh, contemplate, dear friends, how God sought our good first and foremost in that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten.
begotten Son. Not self-seeking, but self-giving. That's love. Love is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. You see, love is not a touchy thing, ready to find a fault with others, and it doesn't keep a running tab of past indiscretions or infractions, ready to justify and prove the rightness of my disappointment or anger toward you. What good news that our God has washed away, erased the record of our sins. He has washed you clean in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the promise that he made to you. The promise that he made to you personally through the water and word of baptism. All your sins, past, present, and future, were washed away. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross once and for all. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins, the scriptures declare. Washes you clean. So there's no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love is not a wimpy pushover. Love hates what is evil. It opposes what is false. It takes its stand against whatever does not measure up to God's standard of righteousness. For love delights in in, in God's truth. For it knows that God's truth is what brings true goodness and happiness. No matter what kind of short-term pleasure that false doctrine or evil deeds or wicked thoughts may bring, it all ends in destruction. But God's truth, even if it feels difficult at the time, God's truth brings eternal joy and happiness. And so love always protects, always trusts, It it takes the words and actions of others in the kindest possible way, trusting that our fellow Christians are are working with with, with Christ-centered motives from their heart, putting the best construction on, on what they do and what others do. Love always hopes, always perseveres. And this is not some sort of, oh, the sun will be brighter tomorrow, maybe, I hope. No, this is the perseverance that is built on the hope which stands on God's promises. This is the hope that knows that no matter how good or bad this life may seem or feel or actually be, God is in control. And his promises, his words, will never fail or prove false. And so, as Paul writes here, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Yes, dear friends, spiritual gifts are only for this life. As great and wonderful of a blessing as they are, they are only for this life. 
just as a child is busy with the thoughts and actions of a child, and rightly so, so also we are busy using the spiritual gifts that the Lord gives us in this present life. But just as an adult moves beyond the ways of a child, so in heaven we will no longer need the spiritual gifts that are such great blessings and so important in our Christian life here on this earth. For example, consider God's written word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. How vital and important this book is, for it brings us the very words of our God, His truth. It brings it to us without error. So that we can be sure and certain that His promises do not fail. This book is truly our light and our salvation, our joy and our hope, our peace treasure, our nourishment. It is the source, this book, the Bible, is the source of our faith, hope, and joy. In it, we have all that we need to know and believe for salvation. In it, we have all that we need to equip us for every good work in this life. And yet, As vital and important as this book is, when we see our God through these human words that he has caused to be written, it's like looking at his reflection in a mirror. A mirror that is so often cloudy and dirty because of our preconceived notions and, and, and sinful mindsets. Don't get me wrong, this book, God's Word, is without error. But what we can know and understand of God from these words is so limited in this life. But in heaven, we will see Him face to face We will no longer need his written word because we will hear him with our own ears and see him with our own eyes. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And yet even after all these spiritual gifts and even after the need for having God's written word passes away, these three remain. Faith hope, and love. Even in heaven, we will look to God with that faith. In fact, it will be a perfect faith, a perfect, complete, full trust in Him. In heaven, even as our hopes are fulfilled, we will still continue to have hope in, in, in the effect that, that you know, we will never run out of things to see or do or enjoy in heaven. Each day will be filled with new and, and, and hopes so that we continue to enjoy the glory there. And in heaven, we will love one another perfectly and love our God and Savior above all. But the greatest of these is love.
Why? Paul doesn't answer that, does he? He wants us to contemplate and ponder that truth. Contemplate how love so closely reflects who God himself is. God is love, the scriptures declare. Contemplate how love imitates God and expresses our joyful fellowship with Him. Contemplate how love is the fulfillment of God's law and how it governs each and every spiritual gift. Consider how how love is the proof that our hearts have faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Contemplate how there is no real love without Jesus. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love makes the difference. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.